everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. And today we are talking about say whales, or Broody's whales, or Eden's whales, or any of the above, or all of the above. <laughs> Who knows? Stay tuned. <laughs> Plus, an amazing say whale tale. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. everybody and uh, welcome to our podcast episode where we talk about all of the remaining rope wool so baleen whales that aren't shaped like right whales and bowhead whales <laughs> uh basically that all look the same and slash at one point in time in history were the same but aren't the same the end <laughs> we did it podcast over <laughs> So, say whales are the third largest whale species after bully whales and fin whales, and they're one of the most poorly understood of all the baleen whales. They were heavily hunted in heavy, heavily hunted in the modern whaling era, um, but their current distribution, migration patterns, and behavior are not well studied. There are two subspecies of say whales: uh, Balenoptera borealis shingali in the southern hemisphere, and Balenoptera borealis borealis in the northern hemisphere. From a distance, say whales could be confused with other vorqual whales like blue, fin, or broody's whales, but they should be easy to distinguish from blue and fin whales due to the latter species' unique coloring and size. However, telling them apart from broody's whales is extremely challenging, and it is likely that even in the scientific literature, there are a number of misidentifications. So here's a guide to telling the difference between broody's whales and say whales to start with, and we'll talk about all of the other ones in a bit. <laughs> Size-wise, adult say whales and broody's whales can reach a similar size. Size in terms of weight, not going to help you. Though, to be fair, weight in whales this big is just kind of, they're just heavy. They're, <laughs> they're just heavy. <laughs> yeah, like this one weighs this many tons and this one weighs this many tons. And like that is no way a helpful identification guide exactly uh they both weigh between 20 and 30 tons so not particularly helpful in telling them apart nor is length really helpful because although like you said sarah the difference between a say whale and a broody's whale when it comes to comparing to a fin and a blue whale like there is a distinctly bigger one the fins and the blues are a lot bigger than the says and the broodies the difference in length between the says and the broodies is not very distinct. An adult say whale can reach up to about 15 to 18 meters in length, while Broody's whales are generally a little bit smaller, like 13 to 15 meters in length. But if you're appropriately distanced from them, uh, as you should be when you're watching whales, then that is really hard. And you could just be looking at a not fully grown say whale or a yeah. fully grown or Broody's whale. a juvenile <clears throat> blue whale or fin whale, or you've never seen a blue whale and don't really understand how much bigger they actually are, be like, that's a really big whale. I bet it's a blue whale. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, to make matters even more confusing, and why this has been a very confusing and challenging topic for scientists for, as we will get to, decades, if not actually <laughs> centuries, <laughs> first glance, broodies and say whales look almost identical, <laughs> which is why they're very easily confused for each other, along with what we've already said. Um, in fact, both whalers and researchers couldn't tell the difference between the two for many years, and they still make mistakes. Theoretically, say whales are a slightly lighter gray color than broody's whales, 
but with natural variation accounted for there, Broody's whales might be light, light gray. So, <laughs> um, the actual like physiological difference that is categorically always different between Broody's whales and all of the whales that have mistakenly been called or considered Broody's whales, again, we'll get there, um, versus say whale is if you... This would actually be where drones come in handy if you are legally allowed to use drones safely around them. Be appropriate. Looking at the top of their head, where their blowhole is, and then looking along their rostrum, so like as if you were thinking about them, the grooves of their throat opening up underneath there, but looking at the dorsal side or the top side, the say whale has one ridge going sort of from the very, very tip of their rostrum to the blowhole. Whereas Broody's whales have three. They have one long one down the middle and then one on either side. Uh, and I'm sure Linz will put up some pictures on our Instagram feed. It is a very marked difference when you get that especially rare view yeah. <laughs> of the top of a head of a whale. <laughs> um, so say whales are found in both hemispheres and are found in more temperate waters than Broody's. Says follow travel as far south as Antarctica and as north as Iceland, but not into the polar ice seas. Broodies are known as the tropical whales. Um, they're found in both hemispheres, but only inhabit the warmer waters between 40 degrees and 40 degrees south and north. Uh, population size. It's estimated that the global population of say whales stands at around 50,000, making them endangered on the IUCN red list. And broodies, the god the global population is unknown because of reasons that we're about <laughs> to tell you and their status is listed as least concern. Experienced whale watchers may be able to tell the species apart by looking at their dive behavior. For example, in the Hauraki Gulf of New Zealand, Broody's whales typically surface three to five times over several minutes before undertaking a longer dive for approximately five minutes. They do not show their tail flukes when diving, but they do arch their back and their tailstock. Say whales dive for a similar length of time, but instead of arching their back, they often just simply sink below the surface. Though again, you could just have one who chooses to dive yeah. differently that day. <laughs> Makes me think of the Homer Simpson gif of like slowly backing into the edges. Just like say <laughs> yes. whales. Say whales are like, what? I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. Swim speed is another way that um, might be able to be might be used to tell these species apart. Um, say whales are one of the fastest species of baleen whales with records reaching up to 30 knots or 55 kilometers per hour compared to Broody's whales who are slightly slower with a fastest swim speed of about 13 knots or 24 kilometers per hour. However, both are capable of swimming faster for short periods of time if they want to. So again, not a conclusive decider between the two. I thought that was confusing. Yeah, exactly. Much, much more. We have to talk about the Broody's whales in the room. Broody's whale, or possibly more appropriately, the Broody's whale complex comprises three species of rockerel, possibly four. <laughs> the complex is in reference to the number and classification that is more unclear then regular listeners of this podcast will know of any other species that we've talked about. And this is something we talk about a lot. 
So when we say the Broody's whales speciation is especially complicated, you know how bad it is. <laughs> there is a significant lack of definitive information and research here. The common Broody's whale, Balanoptra bridae, is a larger form that occurs worldwide in warm, temperate, and tropical waters. And then the Setang or Eden's whale, Balanoptra edenae, is a smaller form that may be restricted to, and count I said, maybe, <laughs> may be restricted to the Indo-Pacific. Also smaller than the Eden's whale, which is the smaller Broody's whale, <laughs> is the coastal form of the Broody's whale. <laughs> <laughs> which is found off of southern Africa. And perhaps another form in the Indo-Pacific, also where the Eden's whale is, differs in skull morphology. So that's tentatively called the Indo-Pacific Broody's whale. <laughs> oh, no. But we're not done. I know. <laughs> so that's just the four that are still kind of called Broody's whales. There's also two other ones, which were for up until, in one case, last year. Well, I guess we're 2023 now. Two years ago, <laughs> also considered to be Broody's whales. So the recently described Omura's whale, which was described in 2003, was formerly thought to be a pygmy form of the Broody's whale, but is now recognized as a distinct species. And then in 2021, the Rice's whale which makes its home solely in the Gulf of Mexico, was distinguished as a distinct population of Broody's whale. So now Rice's whales are their own thing. But if you read anything about Broody's whales prior to 2021, Rice's whales are just in there as yet another subpopulation of a subspecies of the Broody's whale. <laughs> it's fun! <laughs> I can tell by Nicole's tone that she had like a bulletin board and some string... <laughs> Oh, yeah. she was writing these notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. A brief timeline in the whale's history. Let's try to not go crazy. Starting from the first specimen to now with their official new names. So 1879, the Eden's whale was described based on a small baleen whales uh, that stranded in Myanmar. The name recognizes Ashley Eden, a chief commissioner of the British Burma, now Myanmar, Myanmar who helped save the first specimen. And then in 1913, the Broody's whale, Balanoptera brudii, is described from baleen whales that were caught by whalers working in South Africa. The Broody's whales are named for Johan Broody, a Norwegian who built the first whaling stations in South Africa in the early 20th century. Of course, by 1913, people had been whaling for these whales and otherwise interacting with these whales, um, and they just took until 1913 before they finally gave them an official scientific designation as separate from all the other whales that they were catching and observing. Fast forward from 1913 to 1950. Eden's whales and Broody's whales are grouped together as a single species, Balanoptera edeni, with the English common name of Broody's whales. Try and keep both names. Decades of debate follow as to whether the two species should remain the same or be separated. So then, 1954, a skull of a Brutus-like whale was found on the coast of Louisiana, 
and the skull was archived at the Louisiana State University Muse- Museum of Natural Sciences. Uh, remember that skull because I'm pretty sure it's going to come back later. Um, and then in 1965, Dale W. Rice first published evidence that the Broody's whales are present in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and I'll I'll take note here, listener, to say this is when it looked like I was an FBI agent investigating a serial <laughs> killer with my board. <laughs> So remember that that whale's evidence by Dr. Rice was published in 1965. We're now forwarding to 1999. So there's continuous debate going on in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. But like, oh, are they two species or are they one species? They're in different places, but also they migrate. And also they're in like basically everywhere except the poles. <laughs> so in 1999... <clears throat> NOAA's Southeast Fisheries Science Center determines that the Broody's whale in the Gulf of Mexico is, wait for it, staying there year-round. <laughs> They're residents. They don't why, leave. Why did it take so long? <laughs> okay, so then in 2003, Japanese science scientists describe a separate baleen whale species, the Omuras, based on the, morpho- on the morphology of a skull and genetic analysis of mitochondrial DNA. This species is closely related to Brutus. Hideo Omura was a researcher at the Whale Research Institute in Tokyo. Okay, so then in 2014, NOAA's Southeast Fisheries Science Center, again, scientists from there, describe an evolutionarily distinct lineage of the Brutus whale in the Gulf of Mexico, based again on the genetic analysis of mitochondrial DNA. This group of whales becomes known as the Gulf of Mexico Broody's whale. Ah, but then, in 2019, a Broody's-like whale strands on the Gulf of Coast of Florida and is genetically confirmed to be a Gulf of Mexico Broody's whale. Scientists performed a necropsy and collected the entire specimen, which is really the first time that, like, modern scientists were able to do this, including the intact skull. Oh, we're going back to the skull. Okay, then, in 2021, a formal scientific description of the Brutus-like whale in the Gulf of Mexico, known as the Rice's whale, is published. Morphological features in the skull and a high degree of genetic divergence distinguish this from all other Brutus-like whale species and subspecies. The skull of the whale from Florida was compared to the skull of the juvenile Brutus-like whale that was stranded in 2003 in North Carolina, providing researchers at the University of North Carolina provided by researchers at the University of North Carolina, Willemington. The morphological comparisons were found to be consistent. A genetic al- analysis of the skull found on the coast of Louisiana in 1954 and the whale from North Carolina confirmed them to be Rice's whales, and Rice's are named in honor of Dale W. Rice. This is also where we have our call to action for the episode coming way earlier than usual. If you find the skull of a whale, keep it. Yeah, it's important. (laughs) Let people know you have it, because it may be that one skull 70 years later (laughs) is used to identify a new species of whale. Um, So that timeline was adapted from something that we'll link in the show notes, which is uh, basically how the Gulf of Mexico Broody's whales became Rice's whales, so... Thank you, Noah, and thank you, Nicole, for writing all of that out. And I'm sorry that I suggested this time. Oh, science. I feel like that's really the the theme of all of our episodes. Oh, science. Okay, 
so now that we've all taken a break from that brain twist, uh, we want to take a moment to su- tell you how we can support the you can support the podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales. You can join us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash whaletales. You can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level, five dollars a month at the dolphin level, or ten dollars a month at the whale level. Each level comes with a variety of perks, including polls, discounts on merch, thank you postcards signed by all three of us in the rare instance that we all get to be in the same place at the same time, (laughs) access to extended interviews and stories with guests, and you can even produce your own fun flipper fact segment of the pod. Plus, we have very, very exciting news, everyone. A new perk for our whale-level patrons. And if you are already a porpoise or a dolphin-level patron, or not a patron at all, you can change your level, become a whale-level patron, because we are starting a new whale-level-only podcast called Whale Tales Watches, where the three of us will watch a a generously marine related movie (laughs) being generous with the description of what is marine related um hopefully it has some kind of sedation in it and then we will talk about it and talk about what they got right scientifically what they did not (laughs) scientifically uh and generally share our thoughts and hilarity around it and as a special launch for this month this month's whale tales watch for our whale level patrons The three of us watched Big Miracle. (laughs) The 20-something movie with John Krasinski and Drew Barrymore based on a true story about three gray whales that got stuck in the ice in, in Alaska. It was a movie about a really cool thing, but the episode is fantastic. So yeah, so that's a pretty exciting new thing that we're working on every couple of months, hopefully. And But we want to thank uh, all of our patrons for supporting us for this whole time. You guys are amazing. But if you aren't able to support us financially, there's still lots of things you can do to help us out. You can leave us a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which will help other people find the podcast. And you can also tell your sciencey, cetacean, podcast-loving friends all about the podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales so that they can join in too. You can follow us on social media at whaletales underscore org. Plus, you can send us your feedback so that you can help us keep making the podcast even better for you and everybody else who listens thank you so much okay okay my brain is off lines and maps and timelines and it's ready for a fun flipper fact all right ready for a fun flipper fact i'm always always okay it's time for fun flipper fact fun flipper fact it's time for a fun flipper fact yeah this is a fun flipper etymology fact, which is, for those, uh, again, regular listeners know, is particularly up my alley. If I can find a fact that is language-based and cetacean-based, mwah, it's, a, it's a happy place for me, <laughs> and hopefully for you too. Uh, and it has to do with our oh-so-favorite say whales. Now, the this is I I apologize in advance if I butchered the pronunciation of any of this because I'm going to attempt to 
say the Japanese names for the say whales and the broodies whales. <laughs> we were just talking about the English things and how messed up that is. So bear with me. In Japan, early whalers called the broodies whale the anchovy or the iwashi whale because it preys on anchovies. That makes total sense to me. Great. Um, <laughs> then, as modern whaling shifted to the Sanriku area, the whalers started to confuse the say whale with the iwashi or broodies or anchovy whale. Incidentally, say whales also eat anchovies. <laughs> It's a dominant prey for both species, especially in Japanese waters. So now, Broody's whales in Japanese are called Natari Kujira, which is the lookalike whale. Oh no. <laughs> Instead of the anchovy whale, they're called the lookalike whale or the Natari Kujira because they look like sea whales. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone was wondering why Latin names exist. Oh, I love our job. <laughs> and that's your fun flipper fact. I think it's time for a story. It is time for a story. And the story comes to us from Maria from Azores Whale Watching. Uh, again, she sent us this story last spring and we're super excited that she sent in another one. I just uh, looked at it and it's pretty amazing of about a, basically a super pod of say whales and dolphins. Hello, hello. This is Maria. I'm a whale watching guide that travels between Baja and the Azores. And in both areas, we can see Brutus whales and say whales. However, it is more likely to see say whales in the Azores and Brutus whales in Baja. And these two species are not famous for providing great sightings on a normal basis, to be honest. They are mostly solitary animals, um, they blow few times and spend little time at the surface, they swim quite fast, and when they travel in small groups, we cannot see any socializing from the boat or any uh, activity, um, they don't leave the tail out of the water when they dive, so as you can imagine, that it's not the ideal whale that you want to find for a whale watching tour, right? Um, so many guides don't stay with them for a long time. But never say never, of course. I don't know exactly what caused it, but starting at the end of August and lasting until October 2022, we had an upwelling that allowed a lot of bait to grow in the area and huge schools of small fish were around the islands of Fayal and Pico in the Azores. This uh, opportunity brought dozens of sea whales and hundreds, even thousands of dolphins to feast on that fish. And I was on the boat the first time that we spotted it. We went out after the directions that the lookout had given to us, as we always do, really. And we knew that there were baleen whales around, and we went to search for them. And the first thing that we saw was a lot of dolphins, like hundreds of them, maybe even a thousand. And they seemed to be feeding. 
so a lot of splashes, fast moves, uh, a characteristic birds, acoricial waters flying around, uh, also catching the fish. And then we saw a blow. Uh, we approached the whale and we identified it as a save whale, which are the third biggest whales, right? And as a curiosity, say means Pollock in Norwegian. And Pollock is a North Atlantic fish that competes with say whales for the same small prey. So they feed on the same species of uh, smaller fish. And in consequence, um, they are found at the same time in the same area in, in Norway. So we follow uh, that whale for a bit and we spotted another blow far away uh, and then another one closer and then another one far away and at some point we just lost count uh, but there were more than 10 say whales in the area and there were uh, hundreds of different species of dolphins uh, mostly there were Atlantic spotted dolphins and common dolphins there and of course, the quarry shear waters and uh, and the terns, all of them were feasting on, on the fish. So we were speechless because of what we were seeing, right? We had, I mean, I had never seen anything like that before. Dozens of whales with hundreds of dolphins feasting the birds. Um, it was the best sighting of sea whales ever. Um, but it was not the last because uh, fish, dolphins and whales stayed in the area for a while and over a month, it, like in almost every tour, the whales were around lunch feeding. So we could see them opening their big mouths at the surface, expanding these throat grooves. Um, we saw the, the brush-like balloon plates and dolphins here and there, birds. And so all together in that massive feeding event, it, it was crazy. And at some point, uh, of course, most of the whales left. Um, probably there was no more fish <laughs> anymore. Um, but uh, I had reports that in November, some of the whales were still around. So besides the obvious um, which are those sightings that were crazy. Um, what was a bit weird as well is that uh, we usually see the baleen whales in um, like earlier in the year, like between February and June in the Azores. So not in the fall or, or autumn, right? So it's true that for some of the species, like the say whales, the migration patterns are not well defined yet, but we were a bit surprised to see them around the islands until that late. And of course, they couldn't stay there forever. I had to move on to go to the season in Baja. And I'm sad that I left the islands before the feast was over. So I missed many sightings of those whales thriving. Um, but yet I'm, I'm grateful that I could witness that, right? It, it's by far the best sighting of, of say whales that I could have wished for. So I'm, I'm very happy and, of course, I feel blessed to, to have experienced that. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Maria, for that incredible story. I can't wait until we can come visit you. Ugh. Okay. Before we wrap up the podcast, though, we wanted to share with you something that you can do to help the ocean and the whales that are in it. And today, it turns out we were all chatting and all three of us have plans in the near future to um, safely and more effectively dispose of some dangerous materials uh, that we have uh, accumulated in our lives. For example, uh, I, I picked don't up know the if I've ever thrown out a smartphone or they gotten rid of a smartphone because like a I didn't know how. But it turns picture. out there's a mm, recycling place great. Right before uh, I was eat that dinner. will wipe them and um, I found an iPod the other day and from... really great. So I, I don't will know be doing that this weekend. Where. Also, then I went to go look for it again and I couldn't yeah. find it. It so maybe I just imagined it, but burdensome to have I'm going to look again in your house. I don't want it in my house. Feels somehow it's real or than not. just getting rid of them, however. So it takes a little bit of diligence and work to dispose of them appropriately. Obviously, it's better to have less stuff, but we are in the real world and sometimes you need to get a new cell phone. Um, and so, yeah, figuring out how to safely dispose of those. And also, while we're in that neighborhood, we're going to the transfer station, which has a zero waste center, and they take things like old books that are so out of date that you can't sell them or give them away even to anybody and they figure out um the best ways to get rid of those whether that's um maybe somewhere out there somebody does want them or just recycling uh so yeah should be fun there is if you live in vancouver which i know a lot of you don't but there are um drop-off events for small electronic waste and also like clothes and shoes and pil pillows and and all that stuff that's in your house that you don't know what to do with. So they are around, and I'm sure that other places have them too. You can just, for ours, you can just do Google City of Vancouver waste drop-off and find some dates near you and make sure that you write them down so you don't forget, like we did last year, and get rid of some stuff. And if you're someone who, like me, has been doing a lot of printing at home as we fill in kindergarten registration forms... <laughs> Uh, you may have some empty ink cartridges because you know what? Ink cartridges don't last as long as you remember them lasting when you have your own at-home printer. And uh, I have discovered that Staples, at least in Canada, will take old ink cartridges for uh, refilling. So you take them there and they have a special sort of recycling center for ink cartridges and they refill them and then they have a special sale area where you can buy reusable well like reusable to a sense um ink cartridges you might not get the same one that you and what's very handy for me is that there is a staples right next to the london drugs where i take my soft plastics for recycling so that's my lunchtime plan tomorrow hooray <laughs> that actually is kind of a good point if you have things that you don't know how to dispose of properly maybe start with where you bought them so like the place you bought your printer cartridges or the place you bought something that came in plastic packaging and see if they have any options available for um, recycling and i know in the states TerraCycle, i think is a place where you can rent get boxes um, uh, and you can recycle all sorts of crazy stuff there but the main thing is that is to do your research because you never know like uh there's all sorts of things that I don't know how to get rid of. And some of it is like obvious, like I have a vase that leaks. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, so Google is your friend and helps you get rid of stuff so it doesn't have to go in the dumpster, which is better for everybody. Hooray! 
And I think that brings us to the end of our episode. So we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or, of course, any episode. So please visit our website, whale-tales.org, to find links to all of our social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can also head to our website to subscribe to the podcast, check out our merchandise, learn about supporting us and becoming a patron, and while you're there, read over 1,200 whale, dolphin, and porpoise That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. Also, now seems like a good time to let you know that next month's episode, we will be doing a mailbag episode. So you can reach out to us through our website or on social media and send us any of your cetacean questions. And we will answer them on the next podcast. So send in your questions by February 9th, 2023. Um, and we will get them answered, hopefully. Unless they're too complicated and make Nicole cry. <laughs> no, I usually get very excited. Also, if you've seen a citation, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our website. You can contact us on social media, or you can email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible... Finally, we want to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, as well as the homelands of the Tawasin First Nation. Thank you again so much for listening and for supporting us. We hope you have a whaley great day.